Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rosa Bible College uh, Chapel follow-up conversations here. Uh, my name's Erica, and I'm on staff here at Rosedale Bible College, and I'm here with two gentlemen. Uh, Matt here is to my left. Yep, I'm here again. They just, uh, they had, they had, they would like me so much, they had to bring me back again. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> so if you want to listen to uh, previous conversations with Matt, you can check out um, our webpage for um, earlier conversations there as well. But yeah, we're happy to have Matt back. And this time we're here with Hans Schenk, our very own you want to go ahead and give us some yeah. your general background? Sure. So I am the old Erica, as the students would <laughs> put it. Um, I'm the I'm the outgoing director of enrollment services at Rosedale Bible College. I have been here for about five and a half years. Um, and before that, I was a student at Rosedale. I graduated from Rosedale in 2010 and from Ohio State in 2015 um, with a degree in strategic communication and philosophy. Um, and I ran around and did some other like traveling and ministry stuff in the uh, in the meantime. Um, so am I supposed to talk about what I talked about this morning or are we just going to get into the questions? We'll just go right. Well, actually, if you want to give like a brief summary. So if you haven't listened to um, Hans's chapel talk, you can also find that with the rest of our podcasts on our webpage. Um, but just so we don't have to direct them back, just give like a brief overview of kind of what your main points were. I think that'd be helpful. Sure, um, if I can. So it was a little <laughs> bit of an incoherent podcast because it was technically a part of our Pathways series where we talked to people about their journeys. Um, but also, uh, I was originally asked to talk about a previous chapel talk that I'd given at some high schools about hearing from God. So I took some of the ideas about hearing from God and smashed them into some moments in my life. And then I'm kind of by accident at the last second, spent a good bit of time talking about the uh, the ever given blocking the Suez Canal. Um, so that was uh, not in my notes. Um, but I think a major part of what I was talking about is um, how we all have God's voice accessible to us in scripture. Um, often when we're trying to like hear from God, we're not thinking about just opening the Bible, and, and it might be because we're trying to hear from God in ways that we don't need to. Like, we're trying to ask God to have, to talk about questions that he is less concerned with than others. So I think another way that God speaks to us is kind of through our makeup, through who we are, our preferences, our passions, our experiences, our gifts. And um, sometimes that's where we should turn to, to think about like vocational decisions, mm -hmm. um, unless God is speaking strongly against that. Like I always think it's important to ask God's guidance. I get, didn't get to this part of my notes, but like Joshua 9, where the children of Israel don't ask God and they accidentally make a peace treaty mm -hmm. with some of the Canaanites, um, the Hivites specifically. I think, you know, you, you have to look to God for counsel, but I think a lot of the time God has given us a lot of information just not always in the kind of like audible voice or like audible adjacent kind of voice that we expect to hear from God. In. And so we're like, well, okay, I have scripture. I have my own makeup as a person. I have the testimony of other believers. That is not enough for me, God. What I really want is for you to like do a miracle so I can have <laughs> ultimate confidence Lay that taking police. this job is the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's often not God is omnipotent, so there sometimes isn't just one right thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's about how you're going to be and who you're going to be as a follower of Jesus in the contexts that you're in. And he can work with a bunch of different contexts because, mm -hmm. you know, it's God. Right. So essentially, it's like God created us with gifts and passions. It's not like 
they appeared out of thin air. I mean, other than from God. So it's like right. pursue those, but also keep in mind that God, like seeking that counsel will ultimately guide it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't let them become idols. Right. But also like God gave you those things for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. That Use makes them. sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I like our listeners may not know this, but like Matt, who's sitting across the table from me, um, <laughs> does like live streaming stuff on YouTube, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I think that's a like, I, what do you normally live stream about? Um, usually it's like there's just different kids games that I do. So like there's like a bunch like honestly, it'd be like to an audience of like 12 year olds kind of. Deal, okay, yeah. Somewhere in there. See younger kids. I, I just think that's like an interest that you have. And the fact that you're doing something with it is huge. I mean, I think that there are lots of people who are like, oh, you know, I'm, I would love to do like a, a, a podcast about Jesus or something. Um, your podcast is about kids games, but I, I assume it's not, it doesn't have like a negative net effect on the kingdom of God. <laughs> um, and so you're, you're not burying your talent. And I think that's important. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm curious. So like the concept you talked a little bit about, like, what do we do when God calls us to do stupid stuff? Or does yes. God call us to do stupid stuff? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, here's the thing that I, so the con, what I talked about in the chapel talk was about a specific situation where um, in a worship service, I felt prompted. And I want to be clear that I'm not going to say for sure that this was the voice of God. It really could have just been my own like mind responding to the moment. I mean, I think, again, sometimes that's how we interact with God. Um but I felt like I was supposed to lay face down on the ground. Um, if listeners don't know me, they may not know that in a in like a, a church service setting in particular, I am not instinctively expressive. I've really grown in that as I've as I've aged, but certainly at the time when this happened, I, I wasn't. And I was like, oh my goodness, no, I'm not going to do that, God. I'm not going to lay face down. I I know the kinds of people who lay face down on the ground during church services, and I am not them and I have no desire to be them. And what I, I certainly don't want anyone else in this room to look at me and think that I am them. And like, I, I just don't want to do it. But at the same time, I was also like, yeah, this is not that big of a deal. And mm-hmm. my dignity is not that big of a deal. And if God is telling me to do something, I had better do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of like the, uh, a hidden lesson in, in what I was talking about today too. Like when God tells you to do something, there really is no other option. Right, right. And it's like, it may look stupid to us, but I think sometimes it's like, it's that bigger picture of God being like, you may have to do this stupid thing to everyone else, but I'm teaching you a bigger lesson and a bigger picture that yes. will be so much more beneficial than your loss of dignity down the road at yeah, this moment. And, and it definitely did. I, mean, I think it probably did look stupid and sanctimonious mm-hmm. to everyone else in the room. And it certainly felt stupid to me the entire time. That was another thing too, is like it was a revelatory moment for me in that like when you feel prompted to do something expressive and big during a worship service, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. At least it never has for me. It hasn't stopped me from being prompted in that way. But like, I uh, don't raise my hands and experience euphoria. I raise my hands and think, oh my goodness, who is looking at me and thinking mm-hmm. that idiot is raising his hand? <laughs> what does he think who knows about God that I don't? I'm like, I, nothing. I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> Which like was your like main climax point of like following God without validating or with no external validations. Yes. In, yeah. In that. Yeah. No, which is so easy to like lose that mindset of because it's so easy to be in a life that's just like, no, I will constantly pursue yeah. what other people think and what they want and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that, I related a lot to that. that. So I'm hoping, like from seeing from your experience, maybe as I get older, you know, <laughs> I will progress 
along these lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's part of following God too, right? Is being aware of where you're at in the journey. Mm-hmm. And like, you can't be any older than you are. As a thing that I struggled a lot with in my teenage years. I was like, I'm young and I'm dumb and I know it. So how can I not be this? Mm-hmm. And the answer that I came to after those years was you can't. Um, <laughs> being young and dumb and knowing it just means you'll be young and dumb in a different kind of and sometimes less fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about the candy bar you alluded to. Um, how is uh, choosing a job <laughs> like choosing a candy bar? <laughs> so um, I don't want to make this seem more important than it is. I don't want to <laughs> outrage any listeners unnecessarily. Um, and you probably have a right to be outraged by this if you are. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't be. But um, I was thinking about jobs and I was thinking about candy bars. And so the thing is, let's say you go into a gas station and you want to buy a snack. And it, mm. it might not even be a candy bar, but you go in, you want to buy a snack. So here are some things that can happen and have happened to people um, buying candy bars or other snacks, maybe not at gas stations, but they've happened to people, right? So you could buy a candy bar and it could be the case that you either have an unknown food allergy or the ingredients of the candy bar interact with something else like a medication that's in your stomach in a way that you're not anticipating or that there was a mix-up at the factory. Anyway, whatever happens, like, right, you could eat a candy bar that you arbitrarily choose at a gas station and become extremely ill um, or develop a chronic disability, or you could even die. Um, it's it's not off the table. I mean, it's kind of unreasonable to be terrified of it, but it's not off the mm-hmm. table. Alternatively, it has definitely happened to people that they've gone into a gas station, purchased a candy bar, and unknowingly also come into like hugely life-changing amounts of money. So it turns out that um, either having your life be thoroughly messed up mm-hmm. or thoroughly changed in positive ways um, that can happen with almost any kind of decision that you make including vocational decisions and and it's also the case that like we often in in this era we don't do one job for all that long um, I've done this job for five and a half years and as as Phil said before my talk this morning that's the longest that anyone has ever done yeah. the job yeah well I mean until six until years from six now from, yeah well, when it's Erica stay tuned for that update yeah. later on that's right um but it's like a high stakes, it's an obviously high stakes version of the candy bar. Like we make these high stakes decisions and choosing a candy bar probably isn't going to be very high stakes, but it can be. And we choose them based on our preferences. Like if we, if you know, you might not choose a candy bar because you have become convicted about eating more healthily. And so you're actually mm-hmm. going to go and like find a protein bar or like veggie straws or those are pretty bad too in their own way but you're going to find something healthy but even so like you're going to act off of like if anything other kinds of things that other kinds of calls that god has given you about who you are and how you are you're not like you're not thinking about okay there's a chance that choosing a candy bar is going to make a really big difference in my life well there Mm -hmm. is um similarly like you can't know if it's going to. And, and so sometimes you have this range of like occupational things that you could do or not even occupational. You might be thinking mm-hmm. like, I obviously I yell at a lot of high school students <laughs> about this. You might be thinking like, oh, I could, I could do a year of missions or I could go to Rosedale or I could go to trade school or I could go to college. I could do all of these things. And I'm scared about what's inside the wrapper. Mm-hmm. And so instead of doing any of that, I'm just going to stay hungry and go out to my car. Well, um, that's bad. 
because you're both a something I didn't say in the talk today, but I firmly believe is like if you're acting in fear, you're not listening to God at all. Um, scripture is very clear mm -hmm. that fear is inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And the second part of it is like you just can't know, and and so you can act on the best information you have. You have some information. You have scripture. You have the testimony of others. You have your experiences, your passions, your preference. Make the best of what you have, and 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 if God really doesn't want you to do the thing you're doing, you might get headed off. But like, don't make willy-nilly bad decisions. Mm -hmm. But also like, it's it can be like choosing a candy bar. You just act on the best information you know and you trust that God will work with it. You don't mm -hmm. spend too much time obsessing about things that you'll never know, no matter how much time you spend worrying about it. That's a, like, that's a waste. Yeah. Which is, so essentially, it's like the risk versus reward thing of like, there's probably not going to be a reward if you don't take a little bit of risk here and there. And yeah. Yeah. Which is with the little decisions like choosing a candy bar, but also the big decisions of try something and if it doesn't work out, well, now you know that doesn't work out. And Yeah. Put away childish things yes. is my advice. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. I will say, though, if you're picking a candy bar and you see a Three Musketeers and you pick that, just just don't. Like, just, just, just don't get there. I've done that though. You have, yeah, and it was a, I would say, you know, a useful experience in its own way. <laughs> I don't know. I've just never liked uh, Three Musketeers, but that's just my opinion. That's but I think God can redeem that choice. This that's is true. true. It is true. Just like if, if it turns out that you weren't supposed to go to trade school, and you're like, wow, I've discovered that I. What the reasons that I thought were make it would make me a good welder? I don't know. I, I talk about welding a lot, but it's partially because it's a great trade school job, and also my dad is a welder. Um, so if, if you're like, oh, the reasons that I thought I would make a good welder actually are going to make me a good mechanical engineer, then that's worthwhile. You know, that's still a, a good thing that comes out of it. That's definitely a reward from that risk yeah, you took, yeah. right? Even though it wasn't yeah. what you thought the reward was going to be. You know more about yourself and about what you want to do than you would have if you hadn't done the thing in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What's like your balance of like feeling versus logic when making decisions? So like both with like listening to God and with like choosing a candy bar. So like I may feel like I really, really, really want this Reese's peanut butter cup, but logic is telling me that I'm on a diet and I probably shouldn't have it. So like <laughs> when you're making yeah. decisions, how do you process? I would say in that case, um, you should like, if there's not a prevailing logical reason, um, or, okay. you know, sometimes you like feel things really strongly. And I, I don't know. I don't really know how to. That's like a seek counsel from yeah. wise Christians moment right. for me. As far as like the in general, though, I would say. Um, so there was a thing that I came up with, like a principle that I came up with in my second year of Rosedale that has haunted me ever since and haunts my wife, too. But <laughs> the, the theory of awesome. Okay. And the, the basic idea was if you are trying to make a decision and you don't have like a moral or practical like maybe a slightly practical but if there's no like moral reason that you to make one decision or the other and you've like prayed about it and you've asked god mm -hmm. like you should do whatever's most awesome and and there's a, the the theory includes this whole like bit about like how you figure out what's awesome but mm -hmm. um that actually has done some good and unpleasant like unpleasantly uncomfortable work for me because i'll like come home and be like so my friends are doing this fun thing but i'm really tired and i want to stay home or like now as a parent it's like Courtney and the boys want to go to the zoo. I'm really tired and I want to stay home. But going to the zoo is much more awesome right. than staying home. So I I don't know. I mean, that's not the that's not a very spiritual answer, but I think if you don't have a clear sign from God and logic can only get you can't make the decision for you, feeling is okay. Like the you, 
be distrustful of your feelings, mm -hmm. but also they can be a tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the mindset of like, you can get paralyzed if you like are waiting for the very clear answer in that moment of like, like I've heard the example of like a traffic light that's like, keep going. You can't want to keep going through a yellow light, even though like, wait to stop till it's a red light. Like be cautious as you move forward, but don't just like stop at a green or yellow light, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, judge where you're at. I think that's mm -hmm. really, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Feelings like feelings play into logic too. You shouldn't take a job that is good on paper, but right. which you are going to hate doing. Yeah. Yeah, like exactly. they, they work together mm -hmm. the same thing with like you know if you so i don't know how you hear from god some people say they feel like god told them or some people know that god told them so maybe the word's not right but it also like i think there's definitely situations where it's like hey this is what god's telling me but like the world's gonna look at it and be like that's the most illogical decision you could ever make or that concept too which may be an extreme situation <laughs> um yeah well i would say in that case is scripture going to tell you that it's a thing you shouldn't do. Um, and right. are like elders, wise elders in your church who are not operating from, like, because sometimes, you know, there are the classic stories of like, everyone in my church said, no, 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 don't do this. I mean, that's one thing if they're talking as just like a practical older person who's cautious. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing if they are bringing up like sound biblical reasons right. that you maybe shouldn't do it. And they're saying like, look, like your understanding of God in this decision seems not biblical. If you're like, God mm -hmm. wants me to do this. And they're like, well, but you're, you're like forsaking these other responsibilities. I mean, I, the story of Abraham is compelling in this way because certainly Abraham was asked to do thing, to do a thing that uh, scripture would condemn. He didn't right. have scripture at the time. Um, and I think part of the, the crux of that is, you know, Abraham was under no doubt that God was speaking to him. Mm -hmm. And um, he looked like he would, he looked like a madman to anyone who would have known what he was doing from the outside, Absolutely. but he himself could not in good faith doubt that he was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that's, that's a really high bar to clear. That I, think that might, clear. I think that might be the bar sometimes is like, if you really like, if you have, if you cannot, with intellectual honesty, deny that you are hearing from God, mm -hmm. then proceed with fear and trembling, I guess. But, yeah. Um, be cautious. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really good. I'm curious, kind of like, I'm like on that topic a little bit, I guess. Um, your experience of like going, so you were, you took philosophy at OSU, correct? Yes. Okay, thought so. Um, so what was your like, did you ever run into like those any kind of internal dilemmas or people like, why would you as a Christian go study philosophy at a public university or what was that journey or transition like, I guess for you? Yeah. Um, my parents had, there were friends of my parents who were very concerned about that. Mm. Um, that would say things like, there's no way he's going to come out of this a Christian, <laughs> which was actually um, I was scared of the same thing, and I think that was fine. I think that was appropriate to be aware that it is not unusual for people to be exposed to philosophical ideas and for that to make them doubt or or um, renounce their faith. And certainly it was like the ideas I encountered, the arguments I encountered, the relationships that I had with with like professional philosophers and things, those were those can be really threatening. Um, it, it was like mm -hmm. a testing time. Um, it wasn't like I just waltzed in and God's not deaded the whole the philosophy department at Ohio State. <laughs> <What>? um, <laughs> but I, I thought at the time, it was like, well, 
how afraid are we? Like, it's one thing to be afraid for ourselves and to understand our own fallibility and like the limits of what we can know and how well we can know and how well we can explain it to ourselves or anybody else. It is a different thing to assume that our faith will be unable to handle a rigorous intellectual examination. And that's, uh, I hope I'm not being uncharitable to the mm -hmm. people at my parents' church when I say like, that's what I felt like they were saying. And I thought, what what faith, like we have to have some faith here mm -hmm. that, that what we believe makes sense and makes mm -hmm. sense well enough to stand up to investigation. Yeah. But there's a point, a thing I discovered at Ohio State um, and actually that it was, you know, I first read Fear and Trembling at Ohio State. And I think even reading that was helpful for me in coming to grips with this idea that there is a point where trusting Jesus is going to take you beyond where reason can go. Mm. Um, that there are so, and I wouldn't say that in like, I don't want to say anything too that sounds too controversial because I don't think it's like unorthodox at all. But I do think that what I realized is that my reasons for believing in Christian faith are, so, I think there are really good reasons to believe in Christian faith. I think there are good philosophical arguments for it. Mm -hmm. But the reasons I believe are very, are, are like based on my experience of following Jesus, taste and see that the Lord is good, that those kinds of things. And so... Is there things that are difficult for me in intellectual honesty? I can't disbelieve them. I also can't always bring them up in an argument with another with with like an, an actual philosopher because they happened in ways that there are there are going to be like gaps that they can mm -hmm. insert their own doubts into about mm -hmm. like how well was I like how true are my experiences how true is the testimony of this other believer and and that's that's totally legitimate they should doubt my testimony because they didn't have it. And the things I'm talking about are things that won't make sense to them secondhand. Um, so I think like borrowing that principle from Abraham's experience and saying like, I understand this now. And yes, there's a place that involves saying like, this makes sense to me. And, but I know it won't make sense mm -hmm. to you. Right. I think there are good arguments for Christian faith that make sense to almost everybody. Um, but but so many of my reasons to believe go beyond that to things that are based in my experience of following Jesus already. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the your time in like the secular setting, like did it strengthen your faith in a lot of ways or yes? Yes, yes. absolutely, okay. for sure. Um, actually, my last semester at Ohio State, I took a class, the class where I read Fear and Trembling mm -hmm. um, called Concepts of Existentialism, which is taught by one of the most sort of aggressively atheistic um, <laughs> instructors that I, certainly that I ever had in undergrad. And many of the existentialists and the other people we read were sort of my favorite, the, the smartest atheists that I've ever encountered, much mm -hmm. more compelling in the, the way they presented the world than some of the big names mm -hmm. in like popular atheism now. And it gave me an opportunity to kind of like, I when I look back on it, I, I have this like mental picture, which is again, sort of like crying in a sermon, um, a thing that doesn't happen to me all that often, um, but a mental picture of sort of uh, sitting in a room with like me and Jesus and Albert Camus. Um, I'm mispronouncing his name because I don't pronounce French very well. Um, and just thinking about the presentations of the world, the, the accounts of human experience and the world 
that are offered by Christian faith versus sort of the smartest version of of God, of a godless cosmos, and feeling like I have to choose, like I the, the Christian version makes more sense to me, mm-hmm. and I have to go with that, even though it is going to make me look silly to a lot of people, but I myself can't not believe this. And it was very liberating mm-hmm. in that way. Like I was, I was very uncomfortable with my faith in certain ways until then. Um, and it's like now my, when I'm uncomfortable with something about how I believe it kind of, it has more of a solid basis of testing to fall mm-hmm. back on. And, and really, I think it was my, uh, not to put too much of a plug in, but it was in some ways my mm-hmm. time at Rosedale years before that, that gave me the tools to mm-hmm. work through it, to really understand what the Christian perspective of the cosmos is. Mm -hmm. Did you find yourself like in moments of lacking external validation from your philosophy peers at all or? Yeah. I mean, not in a hostile way. So I like my undergraduate experience was not one of like, like consistent antipathy from the philosophy students and instructors around me. Um, maybe curiosity. Certainly, um, I didn't do a lot of philosophy of religion. I didn't present okay. myself in a very like oppositional way. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it would come up. Um, I, I didn't make any secret of the fact that I was a Christian. And that was helpful sometimes. Like I could say, well, okay. So they would be like trying to figure out what, what religious people think about an argument. And I could be like, oh, well, so I am religious. And this is what I think about it. And this is what this is how the people that I know that are religious think about these things. Um, and I think occasionally by accident, I was able to like make people question their own values. But yeah, I mean, there wasn't a ton of, you know, no one was hostile, but it they weren't also being like, yeah, it makes a ton of sense that you believe things that we think are nonsense. Right. Like they were, they wouldn't go that far, but they were polite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that, actually. Do you think it'll get, so like moving forward into like a graduate program now, do you expect it to be different at all or... Yes. yes. Um, I expect people's confusion to be more um, potentially not not aggressive in a hostile way, but um, like in the same way that you might imagine it if someone who was an outspoken atheist were to come to Rosedale as a student, mm-hmm. you, there would be a, a touch of why are you here? Studying the Bible is not something that people who think the things you do typically do. Right. Um, and so there's the element of like, why are you here? Yeah, we're we're studying how to think clearly and well about all of these difficult topics, and we don't think that religious people mm. have an interest in understanding how to think clearly about these topics, right? They they like to come up with arguments for why they're right about God, and they like to interpret scripture. But like, why are you here to study metaphysics or moral philosophy mm-hmm. or um, epistemology or all those kinds of things? So I think there is like. And, and some people might, you know, sometimes people are just angry and aggressive about things. So it's not out of the question. The 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 more time you spend in a profession, the more likely you are to meet the angry and aggressive people. But mm-hmm. uh, so I expect it to be a little more oppositional in that way. But I don't know if anyone's going to be like trying to convince me I'm wrong. They right. might be. But do you think it comes from like a stereotype of like the Christians just draw, are driven by feelings and divine speaking and don't logic through anything is there like a stereotype there or what what do you think stems the assumption that christian people don't aren't philosophical 
Uh, there might be, but like also Christians aren't very nice to philosophers either. <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't say that the presentations of secular philosophers by Christians for Christians are very charitable either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that can be true. And it also can be the case. Like I was sometimes in philosophy classes with other people who were Christians who were very aggressive and oppositional about it. And the classes weren't, you know, the the class wasn't designed to be a big referendum on Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was designed to be a class about, you know, what this philosopher thought about this topic and, and how we can investigate his or her reasoning and extend it and see the problems and see the holes and like understand what they were saying and how it might apply to our lives and how we can apply it to current problems. And there would be somebody in the class being like, Yes, but also, by the way, how does this like how does this justify the my belief in the existence of God? And I was really frustrated by that too, because I was like, uh, it, that's, "That's not the to- that that's a, the relevant topic for sure." Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're trying to figure out in this class. And you're kind of being rude mm-hmm. to the twenty five other students here by making it about what you would like for it to be about. Right. Um. So, I I don't know. I'm yes, there are stereotypes, but. We also stereotype philosophers, I think, and we sometimes don't engage with philosophers in ways that um, make them think we're actually interested in philosophy Mm -hmm. beyond using it as a means to an end of like reassuring ourselves about our own beliefs. Right. That makes sense. That's very helpful, actually. Um, well, we're wrapping up here shortly, um, but one last question on kind of your college journey is um, like, what advice would you give to someone so especially like maybe growing up or being in a Christian school setting or community, like stepping into then a big secular college, do you have any pointers or things that were helpful um, in that journey? The most helpful thing that anybody ever said to me was my dad, um, who said, you know, you're probably going to encounter a lot of arguments and ideas that make you doubt certain elements of your faith. Mm. Just don't change your mind about anything quickly. And that was really, really helpful to say you don't, just because you can't win an argument doesn't mean that you have to then believe what the person who won the argument believes. Um, You may need to think about it some more. So there were lots of times when I would hear an argument about the existence of God or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have an answer in the moment, but I thought about it some more and I thought, oh, okay. So they're saying that like for this argument to work, God has to be a, a certain kind of way. Like God's omnipotence has to work a certain kind of way. Well, that's not the mm-hmm. only way that scripture's portrait of God's omnipotence can work. It can work a different way where this argument doesn't hold. Um, so I think taking the time to deal with the cognitive dissonance of not changing your mind quickly. Um, and I think that's I think that's maybe my, my advice. Like, mm-hmm. um, certainly... Spend time at a church and with other Christians. Mm. Like, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. That's so important. Um, but also, don't change your mind too quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, yeah, I actually got a, I got one question for you, which is, uh, you touched on the fact that um, something like the whole thing with fear, kind of like you're, you're saying how uh, that was something that kind of controlled you a little bit. And I'm very guilty of that. Um, it, it controls me way more than it should. But I'm just curious, like, what advice would you give to someone who is, like, I guess kind of going through that? Like, how, 
how do they overcome that, I guess? Like, I don't know if you have any advice. That sounds like a really big question. but It um, is a big question. Um, it's a good one. And I don't know that I have a full answer, but okay with that. I would say, um, so I always think about First John, and I think it's First John 4, 19. Um, it's certainly First John 4, uh, where we love him because he first loved us. I think that's verse 18. And... Um, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And sometimes that gets misquoted to mean that like you shouldn't be afraid of, I don't know, getting, having somebody pour poison into your ear in your sleep like Hamlet's dad. Um, but, but really, you know, it's about your relationship with God. But I think that um, if you feel fully loved in your relationship with God, who is all powerful, then there really isn't anything else to, left to be afraid of. And so I think there are, that leads to my first and biggest piece of advice or what has worked for me um, with learning to overcome fear is understanding how much God loves me. That is the single biggest way that I have learned to overcome fear is to think about different ways. And, and one of the ways that we do that is just putting things in God's hands and saying, like, I cannot deal with this. Um, I talked a little bit about, like, my fear of both a kind of of death, but also of like wasting my life. I can't deal with that. I don't have the resources to come to adequate answer. Like I know that there are lots of verses in scripture that would deal with this. And I understand that. And like those many people read those verses and find significant comfort. It doesn't really, those verses so far haven't cut through to me on that level. So what I have to do with my overwhelming fear of a wasted life and of death is just to say, you know what? I cannot handle this, but I know you can God. And I, I want you to help me understand that how to take care of this and learning to, and praying to understand God's love more fully. Um, when I understand how much he loves me, I love him and, and it, and it limits the fear that hold that the hold, I should say that fear can have on me. And the second thing is just do stuff, do stuff scared, do stuff that scares you. I'm scared of heights. I've spent a ton of times. I mean, that's like a silly small fear, I'm scared of fights. I've spent a ton of time running around doing things high up um, because it's a way of just saying like fear. I'm afraid of many things, but I'm not going to let my fear be a chain. Um, and just like, even if you have to begging God to give you the wherewithal to do things that scare you, if you're scared of public speaking and you I think you don't have to like go out and like just make yourself miserable all the time and be like, haha, I'm scared of public speaking. So I'm going to sign up for a speaker bureau. Like that's maybe not right. But, but, but when those opportunities come, not shying away from them and even just be begging God to be like, okay, I'm scared of this, but I'm going to do it. And I am doing the, you know, I'm doing the best I can to make sure it goes well, but ultimately only you can take care of my fear and do stuff scared and turn your fear over to God and dedicate yourself to discovering how much he loves you. That stuff, scared. That's a good quote. It's it's from a therapist. <laughs> so, uh, advice a therapist has given me. I think it's excellent advice. <laughs> I believe as well. Yeah. All right, well, we're about uh, done with our time here, so we're going to wrap up. Um, thank you, Matt and Hans, for your insights and your comments. And, yeah, we look forward to... Um, more conversations like this so if you can thank you everyone for listening and if you want to um, subscribe and follow us you can do so and we're yeah i hope this was helpful to you as you're continuing on your journey 